Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Regan. And I'm Jess. And this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today, we're talking about the 2017 film, Blade Runner 2049. You've been waiting for this, haven't you? I've been waiting my entire (laughs) life for this moment. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be a good one. It's going to be something. It's going to be something. It's right. Um... I really can't wait to hear your thoughts on it because I know I was texting you while I was watching it. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Um, so I was thinking there's a lot of dystopian books and movies out there. Do you have a favorite? I, uh, You know, recently I do. I read um, the 80s novel Neuromancer by William Gibson, which was actually... Um, the author ended up seeing Blade Runner in theaters and then was super bummed about it because he had to rewrite the first third of his novel like 12 different times because he's like, it's too similar. People are going <laughs> to think I ripped the movie off. <laughs> what about you? Um, I think the only reason I'm going to say this answer is because it sticks out with me from school. And it's probably Brave New World. Um, hmm. I remember reading it and finding it so hard to get through and then we watched the movie and i was like oh i understand things now um mm-hmm. but i thought that brave new world did a good job of like just showing different classes and having just it's been a long time since i watched it or read it but i definitely think that's probably in my top and then mad max i love the mad max universe <laughs> how can you not right it's it's fun. That's a more fun, like how I picture the world might be. <laughs> so <laughs> just hockey pads and BDSM gear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever see the movie This Is the End? Yeah. That's I picture the cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Channing Tatum with a gimp mask. That's <laughs> how I want my apocalypse to be. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so 49, this is the quick overview. Young Blade Runner K's discovery of a long buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner, Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. Um, that's pretty, I don't, it, I don't think it's on point, but that's like that's the, just me. <laughs> that's like the briefest way that you could describe the movie. Yeah. Um, so why don't you go into the plot? of it because you really enjoy this movie so (laughs) i i do so um just uh just to do this the easiest way i can possibly think of is that there's a mystery revolving around something that happened that shouldn't be able to happen according to the laws of nature and um yeah, Ryan Gosling is trying to unravel a, I'd say, an, an investigation, finding a child that is half replicant and half human. And in the course of that investigation, learns things about it, cause him to 
question his own place within the world. And that's, I really think that's the briefest way I can summarize that without, you know, pulling up like a blackboard and sketching it all out for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably we'll get into some spoilers now. So if you have not watched it, definitely pause and go watch and then come back and listen. Um, the Let's go back to 24, uh, original Blade Runner. Was it, nope. um, was it confirmed that Deckard was a replicant, or did we leave that, or did it always stay uh, ambiguous? Um, it always stayed ambiguous, as far as I can tell, um, just because uh, Ridley Scott says that Deckard's a replicant, and Harrison Ford says that he isn't. The okay. uh, the screenwriter of that movie, though, said that he didn't write Deckard to be a replicant, though. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, well, this movie, he would have to not be a replicant. Yeah. For everything to happen. It so. seems like what Ridley wanted to do was to add a twist for the sake of adding a twist. He was trying to M. Night Shyamalan it before <laughs> Shyamalan was around. <laughs> a decade before that was cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so my initial reaction, and this is me watching it for the first time three days ago. Um, so most of you know that I really don't like the first movie. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, it comes up almost every week that I had a very hard time with it. I found it boring and slow paced, and I actually wasn't impressed with Harrison Ford's acting in the first one. Um, if I'm going to watch old Harrison, I'm going to watch Indiana Jones or Star Wars. It's just how it is. Um, I also really don't find this world captivating and I find it very confusing. Um, so I did not have high hopes for this movie. Um, but I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, I got 90 minutes into it and I texted Regan and was like, what is happening? Why has nothing happened yet? <laughs> um, visually and musically, the score, it's an incredible movie and we'll get into some of that stuff later. Um, it's, it's a huge world. It's a huge universe that they've created. Um, but this just... It's not, I didn't find it horrible. I have paid more for way less. <laughs> My initial with that reaction with this is that I was bored. Um, I watched the trailer after finishing it, and I completely, it's a completely different movie that they're trying to make you see. Um, it makes it very action y. And I think all the action is in the trailer, honestly. <laughs> um, it's, I do think that I was maybe a little tainted in watching the movie because I, I don't like the first one at all. Um, but there, that doesn't mean that there isn't incredible ways that they film this or that they're building this entire universe to go to another level. So that was my initial reaction. <laughs> That's fair. And again, this is a movie that is not going to be for everyone. So my follow-up question is, do you think that the movie on its own is like good, but not your flavor? Or do you think it's 
deeper than that. Um, no, I think it's it's done very well, and yeah, it's probably just not in my wheelhouse anymore. Um, there probably was a point in time. I know there was a point in time when I I watched a lot of like thriller and more mystery stuff, um, unraveling things. Uh, and what's what's kind of funny is like this kind of reminded me of the more recent movie Knives Out. Hmm. Uh, wait, is that yeah Knives? That's what it's called, right? The one yeah. with the newer one, yeah. Um, because I felt the same way about that. I thought it was extremely slow paced. I thought that um, the world was okay and every like the filming aspects are really good but again the trailer and I try not to watch trailers of newer stuff that I'm gonna see until after because I feel like that's what they're doing now is they change what the movie what the type of movie is you're gonna see um also I felt the same way about murder on the orient express so I'm, I'm beginning to think that I don't like whodunit movies <laughs> Uh, so no slower paced character driven investigations yeah i would have to say that i have not seen clue from the 80s um so i would like to see how i i own that so i'll probably watch that and see what i what i think and if it's just like the the way movies are being made now um or if it's the people or what but i'd like to see where that goes but yeah probably just not my my type of movie I gotcha. which is okay which is okay <laughs> exactly like i said these these types of movies aren't really for everyone uh that was part of the problem with the original blade runner uh blade runner bombing so hard was that the trailer the studio cut it together um so the producers could sell it as like a futuristic action movie and you can imagine how surprised everyone was when you know like an hour and a half goes by without much action yeah mm-hmm. absolutely i thought now see i thought the opening scene was incredible with uh dave batista mm. and him just going into the house and like you're getting the flyover of the world i thought that whole opening sequence was great and then it just like it died for me <laughs> fair fair um i've realized it actually up until five minutes ago i was thinking about like why did this movie suck me in as hard as it did and i realized that i'm a sucker for really interesting world building so Mm -hmm. when you can explain the mechanics of a new and different world like visually and in an interesting way i really get pulled into a movie yeah um you're also a fan of the director right uh, Dennis mm. Villa, what is his name? Uh, Villain- <laughs> like Denny Villeneuve. He's, yeah. he's from Quebec, so he's he's very French. Yeah, yeah, um, big fan of his. He's he's made some of the best movies, in my opinion, of this past. Yeah, I was looking through his IMDb, and I honestly don't think I've seen any of his movies honestly i'm gonna go back and look through him he looks french canadian <laughs> yeah All um right. if if anyone's a big fan of futuristic sci-fi um 
something like this, but like mixed with Game of Thrones type stuff. He's also directing the new adaptation of Dune, which is coming out in December of this year. And I've seen like pictures from the set and everything looks really legit. Yeah. He, I, yeah, I haven't seen anything he's done. Um, the most recent ones that people may know would be Sicario and Arrival. Looks like he only does like one Sicario's movie. Sicario is awesome. One, yeah. I've heard, I've heard good things of that. He's also uh, got Cleopatra, a Cleopatra remake in pre production right now. Yeah, which given like how he's done with Blade Runner and what he's doing with Dune, if people are trusting him to do like a Cleopatra um, adaptation, I think that he might be like the new epic director, you know, like Ridley Scott had his own stretch of like really epic films, starting with Gladiator and then like Kingdom of Heaven. And I think Exodus is what killed (laughs) is what killed that ride for him. But. No, it's just I, I really like it when um, directors kind of hit a streak of doing really epic movies. Yeah, the original Cleopatra is a, a huge epic, be it with all its casting problems that people have with it now. But yeah, the those movies, there's like, you're talking like four hours of conversation. There is not a lot of action in those with the exception of like Ben-Hur and the chariot race um yeah but you're not gonna have a lot of action and if he does what he did with with this I could see that being really good that I might enjoy because I do like uh historical like biblical time epics so right it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see where that goes definitely um what was your initial react? Did you, did you see this in theaters? I did. Yeah. So I, I also kind of took a leap of faith where I didn't really like the first one all that much. Like, I thought the coolest part about it was the world. But, you know, Harrison Ford's character was not really likable. And I don't know, the acting came off as really weird at times. <laughs> And at parts, it felt like scotch taped together. But I saw a teaser for it before some movie I was seeing in theaters. And just the teaser alone made me want to go back. And I felt like that all the um, sound effects and especially the score, which at times is just like oppressive in a somehow in a good way. But all of those things together, visuals on the big screen, all the sound, just the way it hits you in the theater. I left like I, I felt like I experienced something when I was leaving the theater. I could see that the uh, the sound, especially in in Dolby Digital Surround. Yeah, I could. That's an experience in that movie. Absolutely. I I really did feel blown away um, the first time I saw it. I I uh, th- yeah, that's my initial impression. I think that's what I miss. Like if I what I miss most if I don't see a movie in theater and I watch it at home, um, for all you fancy pants that have surround sounds at your house, whatever. But the sound in a theater when you when they when it's all surrounded and stuff like that, I think can make or break a movie too. Yeah, adds another layer of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit more about the cast. Um, we mentioned, obviously, Harrison Ford uh, is back, but he definitely should not have top billing on this movie. Uh, hmm. He's in it for, what, 20 minutes? I feel like. No, I actually think he's in the last like hour of it. Maybe under an hour, but it's it's at least 45 minutes if we're splitting hairs. Yeah, he comes in... I know that he comes in at an hour and 45 minutes. When most movies are almost done, <laughs> that's when we get Harrison Ford's character. Um, man, he's just so old now. He, he is. Yeah. I felt the I mean, same way that it, when I saw him in uh, Star Wars Force Awakens. It's, it's weird because he still has... He can, when he wants to, he can still have like a really impressive charisma, you know. Like, I thought he was great returning for Force Awakens, you know. Like, he he had me in stitches every time he's on camera, you know, with something just smart that he said, or you know, something reacting to someone else's lines. Yeah, he embodied Han Solo, absolutely. Um, but he's it's just, I don't know if it's just so shocking to see how old he, he is now. It's like now I kind of know what my mom feels like, like when she's watching all these movies from like the sixties and seventies that she really loves. And like all these actors are like dead now. And now like Hmm. us watching movies where we've grown up with these people that have starred in like the eighties and nineties. And now they're in their like fifties and sixties. And you're like, it's like jarring a little bit. Cause you watch them. Especially. Go ahead. Especially if you don't see their newer stuff like yeah. uh, on a regular basis. Like I watch uh, Christmas Vacation every year, part of my Christmas tradition. And when I see Chevy Chase and stuff now, it's like night and day. Like I'm mm-hmm. almost a little taken out of the movies. I was like, wow, this man is aged like milk. And yeah. it's noticeable. Yeah. Um, actually, my wife and I just started watching Community. Um, oh. And obviously Chevy Chase is in that and it is it's it's not even the same person at some points it's just it's crazy yeah um Ryan Gosling who plays the uh replicant K I don't know if I like him or don't like him honestly (laughs) in anything he does um this I know that he's trying to be an android or like a replicant something with like no thoughts or feelings or anything like that, I guess. He I think he nails that. I don't think he has a very good personality in this movie. Um so. Yeah. It's it's definitely like a journey through like feelings he doesn't normally have. Yeah. Which makes it kind of weird with the uh the joy character. Like, oh, because she's also artificial? Yeah. I I think that comes down to like programming of like she's supposed to be like a holographic waifu for you know um companion purposes. So it, it at least in that regard it makes sense to me why she'd have like some the most personality of most of the cast anyway. Yeah. Because she's like filling that role. Yeah, there was a really good um, explanation 
or like philosophy of the movie that I watched on YouTube. I fell into a YouTube mm. hole for like six hours the other day. So <sighs> that was my today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the way I'm going to try to link, put all the, put them all in the show notes too. But like one of them was talking about how you don't even really know if what that character was feeling was real because she's programmed to tell you everything that you want to hear and everything you want to do and be and everything. So, yeah, that was like the gut punch after another gut punch, like in that movie of like, you know, she's gone, her emulator was destroyed, and then he sees an advertisement that basically says different, you know, clips of phrases that she's been saying the whole movie, except earlier it seemed like really genuine, and now it's like, well, maybe that wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Did you know she also played in Knives Out? Yeah. She was, I liked her in that, I did like her in that movie. Like, she was a bright spot in that movie for me. The way that she oh, played yeah. it. Um, I haven't seen a movie with her in it that I didn't appreciate her role. Or her acting, anyway. Yeah, I've only seen these two. so, But she is very charismatic. And I think she plays her roles very well. Um, yeah. And the other main person that I had, obviously, is Jared Leto. Um, I don't know if he's method or what, but oh. I think... I think he is incredible when he wants to be. I, f- I feel like it's a combination of when he wants to be and when he's given the right material. Mm-hmm. Because with Suicide Squad, he definitely wanted to be awesome, but they really didn't give him a whole lot to work with. And then and then you get his version of the Joker, and then you cry a little bit. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> um. I'll be interested you know, to see where they go with the new Suicide Squad, <laughs> where they're only bringing uh, Margot Robbie back. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Of this cast, um, he is the one Oscar winner, but four other people: uh, Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Edward James Olmos, and Barkad Abdi are four Oscar nominees. Barkad Abdi is the. Um, he's the captain. Yeah, I now. was gonna say he's the captain now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was talking, and I'm like, "Wait a second. I had to, I Google. It. I was like, "Ah, he's the captain now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, yeah, playing Doctor Badger in this movie. That's such a hilarious name to me. It, it's like it's so weird, but it says so much about that character. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the cast is good um the world is good so let's move on to uh some stuff about the movie and in the movie and what we think so um you know i like to start off obviously with the uh, oscar stuff which we were just talking about i love that you segue into things without us talking and it like just goes (laughs) it goes perfect (laughs) (laughs) um this movie was nominated for one, two, three, four, five Oscars. It ended up winning two. Um, it won Best Achievement in Cinematography and Best Achievement in Visual Effects. It was nominated for Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, and Production Design. All things that we said were really, really great in this movie. 
Oh yeah, it crushes those right out of the park. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cin- cinematography, if we can talk about that for a second, yes. holy crap! Yes. Um. Actually, before we get into that, um, I wanted to because we talk a lot about cinematography and like scores and sound mixing, and like we talk a lot about like the more in depth stuff. And I'm not sure how many people that listen like actually get the difference because we've never really explained the differences between cinematography and like art direction or visual effects because they're different categories and everything. So I wrote, uh, I didn't write it. I went and looked for it. (laughs) I found the differences. So when you guys listen to us and when we're talking about how great we like think the cinematography is or the visual effects or all this, that you kind of get where we're coming from. Um, Cinematography comprises of all on-screen visual elements, including lighting, framing, composition, camera motion, camera angles, film selection, like if they're going to shoot digital millimeter uh, and like all that kind of stuff. Uh, lens choices, you know, wide shots, moving shots, different types of lenses, uh, depths of field, zoom, focus, color, exposure, and filtration. So if you were to think about if you were taking a picture, that's what they're the directors of photography too, a lot of the time. Um, so it's, the art and craft of making the motion picture by capturing the story visually. Um, though technically cinematography is the art and science of recording light, either electronically onto an image sensor or chemically onto film. Uh, it is the creation of images you see on the screen. So basically for everything that you can see, a cinematographer really makes the movie. The director might not know uh Certain, they know like the vision they want, but they don't know what kind of angles that they would need. Um, the difference between that and visual effects is that visual effects are strictly the contribution of the visual effects to make the overall production and the artistry and skill and fidelity in which the visual illustrations are achieved. So you'd be talking uh, probably like certain scenes and whatnot. And so you, you're thinking cinematography sounds a lot like being a director and you're kind of right, but in the industry, feature films almost always have a separate director um, of photography or cinematographer and, um, and a director because this division of labor allows the filmmaker to focus on the performance while the director for photography handles all the technical aspects of shooting. So. I think that pretty much nails it. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure everybody knew what we were going with. And now, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of cinematography and the Oscar that this movie won for it, um, that was Roger Deakins, who is one of the best in the business. And I feel like this movie, in terms of writing, cinematography, and directing, had like an A-team come together to make it. Oh, yeah. But... Deacon's, uh, yeah, this was his first Oscar for Best Cinematography after having been nominated 13 times without winning. So he's got a quite a long career, and some of the movies he's done are, they're just breathtaking at times. And he also just won again for the spectacular film uh, 1917 that came out last year. Yeah, um, I didn't know that he won for that one because it came out so recently. Um, some other movies that he's done are um, he's worked with the Coen brothers, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Big Lebowski, 
Um, he did Jarhead, A Beautiful Mind, No Country for Old Men, Skyfall. Um, these are all Oscar-winning movies. So that's oh yeah, that's amazing. He only it looks like he had the Susan Lucci curse of uh, uh, awards. Susan Lucci was a I don't know if you ever watched um, soap operas. But can't she, can't say that half. <laughs> she's played Erica Kane on All My Children for, uh, she played it for the entire like forty almost forty year run of the show, and she was nominated for an for an Emmy, I think between fifteen and twenty times before she won her first one. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was just called the Leonardo DiCaprio curse, but it's good to know yeah. it goes back way further. Yeah, it goes back way further. But yeah, they uh, both people. Yeah, DiCaprio. How many? He was nominated quite a bit before he won too. I'm glad he won when he did, though. Oh, for sure. And if he didn't win for that, I don't think he would win at all. Like that. That film took a lot out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of actors, do you know David Bowie was actually Villeneuve's first choice for the role of Neander Wallace? I could I could totally see that, even though I've never <laughs> seen anything with Bowie in it. Just the way that he like carried himself and the way he looked, I could absolutely yeah. see that. Yeah, Ridley Scott cites him as an influence on the original film. I didn't read in what way, but yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he died shortly uh before they started shooting but gary oldman and also ed harris were also considered to fill that role mm, i'm glad they went with jared leto same yeah. same i couldn't picture either of them it's been a long time since i've seen ed harris in anything though <sighs> yeah yeah i think he's just pretty much in westworld right now yeah um I had something I was going to say and I completely lost it when we talked about that. <laughs> totally. Out of my mind. Oh well. Um, I have a deep cut. A super deep cut here. So, Oh, bring it on. At 1 hour and 45 minutes when Rick Deckard, uh, his first words to Kay are you mightn't, mightn't have happened to have a piece of cheese about you. And I'm sorry that that came out really weird because it's a quote from Treasure Island, um, which was written a long, long time ago. And this is in a deleted scene or in a deleted scene from Blade Runner. Deckard visits Dave Holden uh, in the hospital and finds him reading Treasure Island. So you not only Mm -hmm. had to watch deleted scenes from a four and a half hour movie to catch this. Do you think that that was worth it? Um, I mean, okay, I'll just say no, because when <laughs> that line came across me the first time, I was like, oh, I guess the dog likes cheese. And then he's like, oh, Treasure Island. And I was like, oh, huh, okay, I, I don't feel dumb. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about for me. There were moments, like, I feel like they could have cut an hour out of this and got the same point across. There are so many moments of them staring at space or like the camera just holding on, like holding the shot for like 15 seconds too long sometimes, in my opinion. 
And I can't exactly tell you why, but I I appreciated that yeah. for some reason. I don't know if it made me just feel like more immersed in the world or something to just look at stuff for longer or like watch someone's face slowly change as they're absorbing something. But I can yeah, on, that. on that same note, though, um, Ridley Scott, uh, producer on the movie, and uh, Villeneuve said that they cited the movie's length and relatively slow pacing as the main reasons for the disappointing box office results. Scott felt that the movie was at least 30 minutes too long, even though he admitted he was partially to blame since he provided input for the screenplay. <laughs> and Villeneuve said that while he's still proud of the movie, he realized afterwards he just made the most expensive art house movie in cinema history and knew it would be a huge risk. And that... That makes a lot of sense for me because it sort of does feel like an art house movie with like a blockbuster budget. Yeah, um, absolutely. I can totally see that. And you just reminded me of the thing, too, that I was going to say. Um, Ridley Scott being a producer, do you feel that this had a Ridley Scott feel to it? Because I know that when I texted you, I didn't even look at who it was. I assumed it was a Ridley Scott <laughs> movie. I... Well, I did know who was directing it going into it. So um, as as far as if it, it, it feels like a Denis Villeneuve movie for two reasons to me is one that he's based on the other movies I've seen of his. He really nails atmosphere. But what makes it uh, what makes me think Ridley, you know, wouldn't be the director is that he took all those extra time um, on shots, you know. Whereas with Prometheus, it seems like it was more efficiently cut, you know, like mm -hmm. I don't think Scott would have had necessarily um, as long of takes that you see. Although he did direct like Kingdom of Heaven, which had, was, a, was almost a four hour movie, I think. Yeah, I think you can definitely feel both of them in the movie. They're, they're little touches. Um, yeah, at Actually, on that same note, the original cut of this movie was three hours and 50 minutes, and they cut that down by an hour. Man. <laughs> I don't even know what they could have, what they cut out. I know. It, That's so much. They probably cut out the action scenes is what they <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's, let's film an hour worth of action, put it in the trailer, and then never show it again. I hate when trailers do that. I hate when they cut a trailer and you get scenes that you don't get in the movie. That is yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, Same. So you were talking about the most expensive art house movie. And, you know, I like to do the budgets. This had <laughs> a $150 million estimated budget. Um, opening weekend, $32 million. Gross USA, only $92 million. It didn't even make back in the U.S. the $150 million that it cost to make it. Um, yeah, which uh, regarding the opening weekend, uh, Villain Vu said it's a mystery. All indexes and marketing tools uh, they were using predicted that this would be a success. The film was acclaimed by critics, so everyone expected the first weekend's result to be impressive, and they were shocked. They still don't understand. And I think that's because critics look at a movie through a different lens than the general public for sure um i 
some of I do think that some of that had to do with marketing as well, because the the teaser that got me so excited to actually see the movie also was super incoherent. Like, I just love the atmosphere of it and I love the actors in it. So I knew I was going to go see it. But if you hadn't even seen like Blade Runner one, this would fall right off your radar because no actual information about the plot was allowed to be released until the movie premiered. So I think of the people that saw it, some of them were taking a huge risk, not knowing if they're even going to like the movie. Yeah. Um, I also think it had a, I don't know if it had a super limited like first weekend either. I should look into that more. Um, to some, some movies will only premiere in certain, in like a few theaters and then boost out. Um, yeah. So I don't know what this one had, but $32 million is not a lot. <laughs> that's that's not nothing, but it's also not a lot. Right. I mean, yeah, $32 million. We think about it like, damn, what could I do with $32 million? <laughs> I could make a movie better than this movie is a lot of times. <laughs> sometimes you think that and then you're like, oh, this was a you read reports like this movie bombed and it made $32 million in three days. You're like, what? So. <laughs> The world we live yeah. in. Um, so speaking of the length, <laughs> there are so many things in this. But um, the and I want I want to know what you think of his baseline reads, Ryan Gosling's baseline reads um, when he goes back to the police department. I had no idea what was going on that entire five minute sequence. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting, but strange, like just as far as scenes go, like it told you at like the bottom left of the screen, that was like a post-traumatic baseline test. And it was just super weird after that. I thought it was really interesting. And it's one of the like clearest things I remember from the movie after having it seen it for the first time. But I guess, um, the test is to measure or at least determine if there's any signs of like emerging humanity from um the replicants or if there's any sort of like emotional conflict with what they're supposed to be doing and what they're actually doing that i took it as from okay in the first one when um deckard is giving like asking the guy questions to try to figure out if he's a replicant mm-hmm. um I thought it was kind of similar to that, but the whole like words and him repeating them, I was just like, this is too much and could be cut and could be done differently. <laughs> um, you know, that was actually the, uh, the text that they used for that was actually Gosling's idea, uh, which came from like, uh, I think it's a poetic book um, by Vladimir Nabokov called Pale Fire, which is the book that Joy picks up when she's like, hey, read this to me. It'll make you happier. Yeah. Did you know there was a, a that was filmed twice and you get the original version that we see and then there's an eight minute version of it <laughs> that Gosling wanted to do. That is so long. And he had to do <laughs> it in... I don't know how many angles it was, but he said he had to do, or he did it like a few times for every different camera angle that they had. There's usually, 
I don't know. They filmed some of this with like single camera, but in those type of scenes, I think they probably had three or four or up to nine. So, but like eight minutes, (laughs) eight minutes. I would have shut the movie off if he did that for eight minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's not unwarranted. (laughs) Um, So speaking of him, Gosling, he actually Mm -hmm. had to go. There was like a bunch of stuff that happened on this production too. Um, The filmmakers fell behind schedule as is usually normal. Um, there was actually a subcontractor that was killed by falling debris uh, when they were dismantling one of the sets. Um, and then Gosling had to go to New York to film or to do his junkets for La La Land. Um, but he was able to actually film his scenes before he went for that. Um, <laughs> La La Land was really great. I enjoyed him in that. I didn't like the movie as much as I thought I would, but it was an okay movie. I still haven't seen that, but the more I think about it, um, Gosling's actually been in a lot of Oscar-winning movies recently. Like I'd say within the past like five to eight years. Yeah. So I think uh, La La Land cleaned up. Yeah. Uh, oh, was that the year though that they read the wrong winner for the Oscar? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You know, while uh, shooting the fight scene in the holographic showroom. Which was really cool with all the glitchy like Elvis yeah, um, one of, holograms. I, I told you that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Again, visually knocked it out of the park. But I guess Harrison Ford actually accidentally punched Ryan in the face and then uh, invited uh, Ryan to share a bottle of scotch with him as an apology. Which I think is hilarious. And also, if you watch any interviews of these guys that are promoting Blade Runner 2049, they are hilarious together. And most of the time, it just goes off the rails into <laughs> those two making jokes. It's hilarious. That's funny. Have you ever watched like those junket press interviews and how like uh, awkward most of them are? They're pretty bad. It's awful. Like, how do I get to do that? I want to go interview a celebrity and just be awkward with them like <laughs> interviewers I, I have no talent. <laughs> i don't want answers i just want to be awkward with you yeah um there are three short films that were made to explore the events between blade runner and blade runner 2049 have you seen them i have actually would you care to talk about them? Because I have not. Sure. Um, they're they're pretty cool. Um, one is um, centered on Dave Batista playing Sapper Morton, where he helps uh, save a little girl, but kind of like exposes himself as a replicant in doing so. And as he kind of flees the scene, he drops a receipt or something, and um, it actually has his address on it. And we're meant to believe that this intelligence officer that was following him picked it up. And that's the information that um, Agent K uses to track him down. That's cool. I would kind of like to see that. I'm actually becoming a pretty big fan of Dave Batista. Um, I, I just I think he's hilarious <laughs> and I think he does a good job. 
he also has great comedic timing. Like he's he's good in a lot of different ways, but what I don't expect is just his like ability to make me laugh. Like anything Guardians related, I I <laughs> my eyes are tearing up because I laugh so hard. The way that he is in Guardians is it's so deadpan <laughs> and so incredible. Uh, whenever anybody I feel like plays somebody that doesn't understand sarcasm and they do it right. I think that's the best bit of acting you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's all it's all about how someone's reacting to what's happening. Yeah, if I was on that film, there's no way I would have been able to keep a straight face filming when he was just being like deadpan. <laughs> that, that's probably why movies are delayed because Dave Batista is making people laugh too much. <laughs> I, actually, before I forget that first scene. Um, where he finds um, Batista on the farm. Um, that was actually originally um, a scene that was written and storyboarded for the original film that never got used. Oh, that's cool. Um, what do you think of the women characters and their names being Joy and Love and how they play into the movie? <laughs> That there are some moments in the movie where I come up with some sort of thought that I'm like, wow, that's profound. And when when it's like I found out the names of those two characters and then love kills joy and then K has to kill love by the end of it. I was like, I'm sure this means something. I'm almost positive it does. <laughs> but for the life of me, I don't know what it means. Yeah, that's that was one of the. um YouTube videos I watched the, the on the philosophy of it and you you hit it right on the head that he's experiencing joy in quotes with his uh hologram girl and then everything that he experiences culminates to him like you said having to kill love because he knows that he can't have that like that's not how he's programmed Ooh. it's, it's incredible i'll make sure i put that in the notes too but yeah it really like opened my <laughs> eyes gave me goosebumps. yeah <laughs> it really opened my eyes to some of the more like philosophical parts of this movie which i find very interesting i just wish getting there was a more fun ride for me <laughs> <laughs> okay i gotcha <laughs> yeah, there's actually so many uh, video essays on YouTube all about philosophy of or like shooting or um, j just so many things about this world that they're all great, too. I haven't seen like one single one that was awful. Yeah, like I said, you guys, I mean, you can get into a YouTube hole, obviously. It's a deep one. They're so they just keep um, leading to different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like how the all roads lead to Rome, but it's like you start in Rome and you can go anywhere. Yeah, like there's down so many different YouTube channels. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. That's that's awesome. Um, I think that's all I have for my fun uh, look sees and twos. This. <sighs> actually have four more things yeah two three three okay um <laughs> i figured you would have more to say about this movie than me anyway so 
Just wait till we I'm... get to the mummy, okay? <laughs> oh, oh, that's going to be a two-hour episode. That's going to be long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I noticed after, I think the second or third time I watched this movie, that, um, so wood comes across as like a super valuable commodity. Like authentic wood is super rare because the ecosystem's wrecked and it seems like trees barely exist anymore. But if you notice... Uh, Wallace's office is like completely paneled in wood from like floor to ceiling. And I feel like that's like an opulent display of wealth that I just wouldn't otherwise expect, you know? Yeah, it would that be like owning a real animal in the first one? How they focused on like they were all like android animals, and but people yeah. that had real ones. Like the guy in that pyramid, didn't he have a real, real owl? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I like how they just kind of passed over that in this one, too, where he asked Harrison if the dog's real. And he's like, I don't know. You'll have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> um, another quick little fact is this movie takes place from June 30th to July 6th, 2049. So that's that's coming up. Yeah. And the last thing I'll get into here. So you and I actually appreciate practical effects. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about it yep. to no end. Yep. But there's no, although there's no shortage of like digitally created elements in this movie, um, they tried to shoot almost everything like on real locations and with practical effects for as much as they possibly could. So, um, like the solar farms in the beginning that was actually filmed at a thermosolar power station near Seville, Spain. Yeah. I, I read that and I was dumbfounded by that. I was like, wow, that was a real place. Cause that looked digital because there are yeah. so many panels. It's like they copied so and pasted. Many. And I was like, wow, that was real. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That my mind was equally as blown. And like Sapper's farm was filmed in Iceland. And Mexico City doubled for a hazy shot of L.A. And um, I guess most of the filming was done in Budapest, Hungary. And, yeah, I, I guess they only used, like, green screens a number of times to, like, enhance the what you see further away from the camera. Like, the, the way, way background. Mm. And I really respect that because that, that comes off really well. You can tell when actors are just looking at one big green screen. Yeah. And just having practical um, props there, I, I would assume, probably helps the actors kind of feel more immersed in what they're shooting as opposed to just, you know, green or blue everywhere. Yeah. And that's something that I hope is going to... They have something in the works, and I think I've talked about this before. Um, John uh, Favreau and the crew with the Mandalorian have a it's a it's a warehouse obviously but it has screens um from top to bottom in almost a full circle i think it's a three quarter circle um so it's almost like an IMAX thing but they are it's digitally rendered in real time like a video game that they put the background on so have you seen The Mandalorian, right? I sure have. Okay. So go watch all the um, 
behind the scenes stuff that they're doing on Disney Plus right now too. And you'll uh, learn all about this. But basically, you know all those scenes where they're walking across the planets or whatnot and it seems very far away and like they're on location somewhere. They're not. They're in a studio and the ground has been built um, but the background is all like a digital video game being rendered and as they move it moves with them so they can have real light like they would in a video game Um, and the actors can react to that instead of a blue or a green screen that is so cool it is it's amazing the technology that they have come up with for that and i feel going forward in big epics like this or uh maybe even like the next mad max or i think they're doing furiosa right yeah i I think so um even with stuff like that to be able if they can't get to a location or something happens because of like the way the world is now Mm -hmm. that is going to do wonders for uh production values it's amazing absolutely and that's going to cut down you know the cost of shipping 200 people out to moldova and you know yeah planes full of materials to build stuff yeah um i if you haven't got a chance to watch everybody out there if you have disney plus um go watch the all the behind the scenes stuff that they're doing for the mandalorian you not only learn about that but you learn a lot more about like the directors um that did each episode um where they're going like it's it's incredible it's really really great so wow that's kind of actually a callback to last episode with ready player one yeah um since they were doing a lot of stuff with virtual reality technology they i feel like that's going to be a a bigger thing moving forward too is like virtually creating a set or at least like mock-ups for what they want to build in a vr kind of situation so you can ins- directors can inspect that and get like a 360 view of it i feel like that's definitely along with what you just said those two together you could practically make a whole movie like that yeah and just how it it can make it look not like like video games don't look like video games now some, <laughs> yeah. of, some of them do but i mean i'm sure <laughs> half the people out there playing last of us 2 right now are like <laughs> immersed in this hyper-realistic world so yeah even playing uh battlefield one my wife just walked through the room when i was playing the campaign and she commented how she could see the pores on like the people's faces in cutscenes. yeah i was like yeah (laughs) video games have come a long way since mario yeah it's it's incredible what they can do now it's gotta it makes for a bright future for where they can take movies um just wish they'd stop making sequels (laughs) Get some new IPs out there. Yeah. Or make more sequels like this. <laughs> well, I can oh, do no, with help. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, that must have been quite a feat to make sure the tone and like the feel of the movie yeah. matched the original over 30 years. Like same thing with Mad Max. Yeah. Like the feel of the movie was exactly the same, but telling a brand new story. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um. That being said, this movie is, what, two hours and 44 minutes? Yep. Right? Uh, so yep. I just watched, and I was talking to Regan about this earlier, I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's a two-hour and 37-minute movie. 
if you're gonna watch a two a movie that's over two and a half hours, I would go Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that's gonna lead me <laughs> into our thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> okay. Um, I truly believe that no movie is set out to be bad. I don't think filmmakers go into a movie saying, I'm going to make the worst movie ever. <laughs> um, I think that they, they don't put their time and their effort and their creations out there to be bad. Um, sometimes I think nostalgia, studios, politics, money um, definitely play a, par- a part in how a movie is perceived. Um, but the greatest thing about movies, and I say this, almost every week is that uh, movies what one person doesn't like uh, another person can be completely enthralled with taken in changed uh, by the same movie. Um, Perfect example. Yeah. This is a perfect example of that. Um, And I say movies are magic all the time. And this is no different. Um, There is a really deep philosophy and world with Blade Runner starting with uh do is it it's do androids dream of electric sheep right that's the name of the book yeah um and if you enjoy dystopian worlds uh mysteries investigations about like this kind of stuff um highly highly encourage you to read the book watch the movies like i said dive into the youtube videos and i'll link a few in the show notes um and think about everything that this movie throws at you However, if that sounds boring to you, or it's just not up your alley, then I do think this is an okay movie to skip. And this is the first time, and I felt really bad about doing it, but I gotta be honest, I, mean, I have to give it one thumb down. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but I, I feel like I, I made a good point as to why I had to do that. Yeah. And again, this this flavor of movie is for sure not for everyone like you very much like films on hollywood and stuff and i can only imagine your experience with once upon a time in hollywood which is already a great movie but given that it's right up your alley i'm sure you know yeah. if three thumbs were a possibility oh that, it, that movie <laughs> captured me from the beginning not only because of leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt and margot robbie and tarantino um just that whole world and that whole business just captured me. And I, I mean, you know, it is, it is this world captured you. So yeah. I was going to say, dear listener, if you can hear Jess's passion <laughs> describing this last movie. Yeah. That's kind of cut and paste that for me, but with Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Happen to be right up my alley. Again, I'm a real big sucker for world building and like, when you when you can write some deep character interactions that that just gets me right there the action's a bonus but yeah if you are not down for a near 3 hour movie that is mainly a lot of talking and looking for stuff you might not enjoy this but if you really do like sci-fi and deep philosoph- philosophical questions and Ryan Gosling's pretty face then you like me might give it two thumbs up <laughs> he does have a pretty face <laughs> he does have you seen the video of Ryan Gosling not eating his cereal 
Was that someone trying to feed him through the TV? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty funny. <laughs> Guys, also on that same note, just you whether you see the movie or not, just YouTube, Harrison Ford, and uh, Ryan Gosling in interviews for this movie, promoting Blade Runner 2049. They're just hilarious. They never stay on topic, and it always ends in laughing. Yeah, I might have to go watch some of those. Just because it sounds good. Um, it's wholesome. Yeah, they're that, and I think for us not agreeing for the first time, I it just gives us more like different views and ways to think about it. I love when we can like gush about movies, uh, like last week with Ready Player One and how we both absolutely loved it, um, but. We don't want every movie to be, oh, yeah, we loved it. Because not, that's not how it is with everything. So Exactly. Um, I'm sure there'll be some moments on this list. Uh, I don't know. We have a pretty good list right now um, of ones that I think we'll like mostly, even including the two new ones, which leads... I was going to say, that's a perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. Which leads us into our two uh, emails that we got this week. So thank you guys very much. Um, we really love when you send in emails, when you send in suggestions. Um, we really appreciate it. Without you guys, there would be no uh, you pick, you watch, because nobody would be picking. So, um, <laughs> And we wouldn't be watching. That's right. So um, we got an email from uh, Mib693 at Hotmail. Um, they at hotmail i don't know this person but i like your dedication <laughs> the hotmail <laughs> stick with what works yeah um so they say um if neither of you have watched super bad in the last 10ish years you should add it to the wheel it's so mid 2000s it feels like a period piece and i'm going to be honest i don't think i've seen the whole thing all the way through in one shot so mm. I do love me the mid 2000s. It's a good time. So we've added that. Um, I can't wait for that to come up because also young uh, Jonah Hill, right? Isn't that one? <laughs> yeah. This is the McLovin one, right? It sure is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched I watched that movie. I first saw it or rather it premiered the uh, my senior year of high school. Wow. Yeah, I was already out of school for, I think, probably five or, five or six years. Yeah, because you were born in that. Yeah, I was already out of school for six years, which is why I think it probably skipped me. Mm. Uh, I was not in a, I was not in a movie watching frame of mind during those years. <laughs> gotcha. Um, also, Michael Sarah, I think, plays the same character in every single movie he's in. But I loved him in Arrested Development. So yeah, I'm not mad at that fact. And actually, you brought up uh, the World's End. I yeah. think it's funny <laughs> that he goes against that type. He's yeah. such a douche in that movie. Yeah, he is. That's great. Oh, Arrested Development was awesome, though. Oh yeah, still haven't seen all of it, but I really like what I have seen. First three One seasons shows... are the best. So. Yeah, one of those shows that just kind of felt ahead of its time, you know? Oh, way ahead of its time. It was The Office before, <laughs> like, it was the 
that maybe not even the office but it was that like documentary cam before that was a thing yeah yeah that's a good point so you all can thank ron howard for that (laughs) um our next email is from aaron s um and he says the subject is the 80s distilled uh hello Remember when you were a kid and wanted to be a rock star, a superhero, a doctor, and a globe-hopping adventurer all on the same day? Fighting aliens and mad scientists and bureaucrats? Maybe not that last one. Uh, then this is the movie for you. Uh, oh, then the movie for you is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Starring Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai, along with a supporting cast including Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum, an amazingly over-the-top John Lithgow. It is a beautiful tapestry of the 80s tropes jammed into a very 50s sci-fi plot. Fun fact, this movie has experienced a rediscovery after being featured as a reference in Ready Player One, where Z uses Buckaroo's outfit in the club scene. Anyways, y'all are great. Can't wait to hear more. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Aww. That's so sweet. Um, That's just nice. Yeah, I did not know what Buckaroo Banzai was while I was even watching Ready Player One, so I am glad that you suggested this movie, because it feels like this seems like right up my alley. It it really does, <laughs> and it's weird that that movie has such a cast to it. Like, just the names he listed off right there, those are actors I would go out of my way to see normally, too. And they're all in one movie, so I don't think we can go wrong with that. It's the cast... And, like, the um, premise, maybe. It reminds me of another Jeff Goldblum movie from the early 90s, late 80s. Um, Earth Girls Are Easy. Have you ever seen that? I've heard of that. <laughs> Never saw it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is one. Just watch that on your own. Because Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and Jim Carrey. Um, and I think Marlon Wayans. I think it's Marlon. Uh, oh man, it's it's hilarious. D made me buy it because we're trying to go through all of um, Jim Carrey's movies. So I Ooh. bought all of his like early ones, and that one was definitely one that she's like, "You haven't seen this?" I was like, "No, why would I?" She's like, "All right, we're gonna watch it." So it's great if you get a chance to. I'll put that on my list. Um, that's it for email. So I believe we have added those to the wheel, right? That's right. All right. Fingers crossed for the mummy this week, or one of mine, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I I feel like that's the only options left. I am not spinning, just so everybody knows. Regan is spinning, because I didn't want there to be any controversy. So, uh, tell me when you spin, and we'll, we'll hit that beeping our uh, Wheel of Fortune beeps that I do. And here we go. No whammies, no whammies. <laughs> oh, wow. What are the odds? So I just added Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> and that's the one we got. Of course. <laughs> Oh. oh man, we're signing on for a weird adventure and I love it. Yeah, we are. All right, I'm going to have to go find out if I can buy this or order it somewhere. Um, 
Because that's, I think that was the only one I didn't own because I started buying all the ones I didn't have just to make sure I had them. And that one just got added. So um, let me know where you find it if you don't have it. It says watch free on Voodoo. I don't know if that's something you got to sign up for, but I'll give the old college try. <laughs> if I find one, I'll let you know too. <laughs> um. Well, I'm excited for that. That again, that sounds just like what I like. So, um, all right, that's it. Regan, take us out. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys, and writing the podcast. We are going to discuss Buckaroo. Well, hold on. The official title is "The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension" from 1984. That's a great year. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> we'll be taking a deep dive into that, learning everything we can about it. And remember, you can help select the movie we watch by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. You can now also follow the podcast on Facebook by searching You Pick We Watch to get instant updates and recommendations and just to know what movie we're doing next right away. If you like what you hear, uh, think about giving us a quick five-star review. It really does help new podcasts to, to have those. I am Regan, and you can find me at Author Regan Brooks on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm Jess, and you can find me on Twitter at RadMadMal. Um, and yeah, our Facebook, definitely go like that. Um, there, If we find cool stuff, we'll probably post cool stuff on there. Um, recommendations you'll get our access to our uh, when our podcasts come out um also there's I'm, we're trying to think of some fun ways to like interact and do some games or live streams or something anything um there's a lot coming up and we have let's see next week is going to be our eighth episode so we only have three more episodes until or two more until our 10th episode so we got to think of uh, some fun, something fun to do for our 10th episode. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's it. So we will see you guys later. We'll see you next week and uh, have a good week, everyone. Take it easy.